everyone, and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And we're bringing you our first bonus episode of Season 7 of National Treasure Hunt, and it will not disappoint. It will not disappoint. We were concerned with the writer's strike and the actor's strike that we weren't going to be able to continue to follow up with some of the content we had been bringing last season uh but this actually presented us with an opportunity to kind of expand um our range of people who we could speak to and oh my goodness i i just i cannot say enough good things about the episode you're about to hear Yeah, so without burying the lead, today we are speaking with Ross McDonald. You are so familiar with his work if you love National Treasure, but you don't know that you're familiar with his work. We're going to shine a spotlight on that work today, and he's going to share some incredible stories. More on that in just a second. Yes, so first... You have to find us on social media if you haven't already. Please go ahead and find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can also find us at nthuntpodcast.com where we talk about basically all the things that we do minus our bathroom schedules. You can order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy at tuckerdspress.com. And you can be one of the lucky people to join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. We have three tiers where you can support us, uh, and we bring you even more bonus content aside from the bonus content that we bring you on our regular feed. Like right now? Yeah. <laughs> so do it. All right. Well, we are so, so excited to introduce you all to Ross McDonald today. Ross is a book prop designer. He designs props involving any sort of paper material, books, pamphlets, newspapers, magazines, these sorts of materials for Hollywood productions, Broadway plays, and all sorts of pop culture. Why is he on National Treasure Hunt, you may ask? Well, because he designed all of the book props for National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Yes, including that book, The Book of Secrets. Yeah, um, you might have, if you've read our book, <laughs> you might have uh, read us talk about him. Is that the right phrasing? Yeah, yeah. So in our own book, we did reference um his book or the the book that he is a part of called prop man which you can order on amazon we'll we'll share on our social media this week when this episode comes out um but his track record and like his cv of all the shows and movies that he has worked on you have seen at least a handful Like, you can live under a rock and know the sorts of things that he has worked on. It is so cool. Um, We also encourage you to check out his website, ross-mcdonald.com, where he has all sorts of uh, additional details about the productions that he's been involved in, including all sorts of pictures, um, behind the scenes at its best, basically. 
And we're hoping that we have some behind the scenes content on our socials to accompany this episode for you this week, all about Ross's involvement in Book of Secrets. So what will you get from this episode? Well, for one thing, one of my favorite things that I learned in this conversation is that Charlotte was nearly referenced a whole heck of a lot more in National Treasure 2 than we end up seeing in the film. We're going to learn all about Charlotte in the context of Book of Secrets. We're also going to learn a little bit about the lengths that Ross actually went to to design his historically informed props like we always talk about how the writers of national treasure went to so much work to make sure things were historically relevant but ross went went deep he goes he goes deep for this stuff like the secret service was involved Mm -hmm. in the research for this And he remembers it all to this day. And that's why these stories are going to be so great. Anyway, a third thing that, you know, you might be interested in learning about. I don't know. I don't know, Em. You might want to know, like, what's on page 47, at least of the prop secret book. And we're going to tell you all that and more in this episode. So without further ado, please join us in welcoming Ross McDonald to National Treasure Hunt. His work is literally the namesake of the second National Treasure film, and I guarantee that you are so familiar with his work, but you don't even realize it. Ross, welcome to National Treasure Hunt. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So to get us started, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a prop designer? Well, I started out in print. Uh, I worked as a printer, literally. Four years, and I started a, a small letterpress operation <clears throat> after working at another place uh, up in Toronto, and we were publishing uh, a lot of books. And I was right across the street from a place called the Robarts Library in Toronto, and got to go over there and meet some of the archivists and stuff. So, kind of became fascinated with that aspect of print and studying, you know, old print and and stuff like that. And then uh, kind of segued from uh, working in print and design uh, into illustration and worked as a magazine illustrator for years. And that's kind of what led me into prop design because I, I literally, you know, met a guy at a party uh, who was familiar with my work and had just started working on a movie, a John Hughes-produced uh, movie, Baby's Day Out in Chicago. And I met him in a party in New York. And it was kind of like um, <clears throat> one of those great things where he was like, hey, wait a minute. I know you. I know your work. Uh, you know, my, my illustration work was appearing in a lot of national magazines, so it was fairly visible. And they were look and my style at the time was an kind of an ironic take on the, the old Dick and Jane books from the 30s and 40s. And they were looking for someone uh for Baby's Day Out to illustrate the baby's favorite book, which is called Baby's Day Out. And the plot of that movie kind of revolves around the book. The baby doesn't talk. Um, and we see him in the beginning being uh 
uh, read to from the book and he loves the book and everything like that. And when the, he gets kidnapped um, and taken to the city, the kidnappers take the book with him, with them. And he escapes and gets away in the big city. And he thinks he's living out the book. Like he's very familiar with what's going on in the city because he's seen it so many times in the book. And the book is used as a device by the filmmakers to kind of uh, clue us, the viewers, into the baby's thinking because the baby can't talk. So they'll do things like we'll see the baby crawling along the city street. Then we'll see a shot of a taxi. Then we'll go back to a close up of the baby's face and we'll see a uh, insert shot of the page of the book that has a taxi in it. Then we go back to the real taxi again, back to the baby's face, kind of going, oh, I know what that is. And he crawls into the taxi and that happens several times. And um, so because it's so closely tied in uh, to the to the film, I had to work on set in Chicago for about six months. And uh, so, you know, I had gone from working in in uh, print and having a lot of involvement in, um, you know, magazines and books and printing presses and all that kind of stuff to all of a sudden being in the middle of a movie production. And I was in the producer's trailer, actually, because they didn't quite know what to do with me. Huh. They had an art department. And the art department, which was like, I don't know, 10, 15 people, was all crammed into one trailer. And I had half of the producer's trailer, um, which was kind of great. And I got to see a lot of what was going on from that aspect. The producer was really great. And uh, Richard Vane, he's really a great guy. And, um, you know, got to meet John Hughes and sort of hang out because there was a lot of back and forth. Like, for instance, we see the nanny in the book, um, they eventually cast Cynthia Nixon, but originally there was a lot of discussion about what the nanny would look like. And, you know, I had to sort of tailor my illustrations to that. And then I also uh, was photographing the babies for reference. There's the babies played by two twins. And which meant, you know, going on set and you know, asking permission, can I just take a couple of shots, a close-up shots of the baby and, and that kind of stuff. And I got to see a lot of the sets and and uh, also hang out with all these, these great people who worked on the movie. And then I came back to New York when it was all over and I thought, oh, that was fun. I'll, you know, I'll never probably work on a movie again, but at least I got to. Like, when are they ever going to need a book and a movie again? But what happened is, you know, at that time, graphic designers were uh, not as common in film art departments. They had a great guy, Ted Hay is his name. He's worked on a lot of amazing movies. And Ted uh, kind of, you know, we became really good friends. Um, and he kind of, you know, showed me how it all works in a way. He had a lot of reference stuff, which I also did. I had been collecting a lot of paper ephemera and things like that. And, um, you know, to no specific end, I just liked it. And uh, I was in Chicago where the original Dick and Jane books were published and was able to add a lot of those books to my collection and meet a lot of people who had actually worked on the original Dick and Jane books or worked in, in the uh, publisher. And so it was kind of amazing, but um, 
because designers were less common, what would what would often happen? See, the the book is a prop, and uh, props, as you may already know, are things that are handled by the actors, as opposed to set decoration, which are things in the background and set design. Props specifically refer to things that the actors actually handle mm -hmm. or wear in the case of jewelry or watches glasses mm -hmm. um so the prop master is responsible for responsible for putting it all together he works under the production designer and uh the prop master in those days the early uh, the closest thing he would have to someone who would know about how to put a book together would be the art department which in which is mostly set designers and so you know, the prop master gets the script, looks at it, there's a book, and he would go in and say, hey, anyone here know how to put a book together or know anyone who can illustrate a book or whatever? And, um, you know, that didn't happen in my case on Baby's Day Out. But later on, all the people that I'd worked with on Baby's Day Out spread out, worked on other movies, and that would that would happen again. Mm. you know i knew a lot of the set designers and stuff and the people you know the prop master would come in and say hey you guys know anyone who can put a book together and they'd say yeah we work for this guy on the show so it gradually built up uh to the point now where it's probably 80 85 percent maybe even more of what i do is is props wow yeah so wow. i still do illustration for books and magazines i just did the this week's cover, um, the late August issue of The Nation. I did the cover illustration for that. Um, I would do a lot of work for the New York Times. And uh, I'm working on a book cover at the moment, a, a new edition of Huckleberry Finn. Cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. These are all sorts of things our listeners would have heard of before. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, people often ask me, like, oh, you know, how do, like, the gist of the question is basically, how do I do what you do and get into designing props? And my answer is, hell if I know. I mean, you know, meet a guy at a party? Uh, I don't know. You got me. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. So, you know, you said you went from doing a lot of, you know, illustrations and now you're, you're doing like 80, 85 percent like props. Can you talk us and our listeners through kind of the general process of creating props for Hollywood productions? I mean, you kind of talked how you worked with the like producer on Baby's Day Out, but like how closely do you still work with other members of the creative team for what you do? I mostly work with the prop master um, because it's his purview to uh, oversee props. You know, he's responsible for it. Now, in some cases, he may get very specific direction from uh, the production designer or the director or both. Um, you know, it may, a prop may have to tie in with the set somehow. You know, there there may be uh specific direction or they may be super busy and they may say hey dude go figure this out <laughs> don't bother me you know go right. find somebody who can make this prop um but yeah i i generally work with the prop master like i said before the production designer is is kind of the one who oversees the uh production designer i worked with on um baby's day out told me that the production designer is responsible for the look of everything in the film except the actors. 
So the production designer oversees, you know, costumes, set design. So in other words, they're insanely busy. Uh, an immense amount of preparation goes into figuring out how everything looks in the film. And of course, he's working very closely with the director. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're designing a set, it has to work with the shot. You know, they have to figure out how are we blocking out this scene? Where's everybody moving? What parts of the sets have to be? you know, more finished than others, all that stuff. So there's just an immense amount of, of work that goes into that. Uh, so sometimes the props are just like, oh God, we need a newspaper for this scene. Like we've figured out all this other stuff. And now we just remembered the actor is supposed to be holding a newspaper. Like somebody, you know, figure out how to get a newspaper. And there are also times where I work with the graphic designer. There are a lot more graphic designers working on film these days. Mm -hmm. And, um, Sometimes because, you know, a lot of what I do falls into the graphic design category. Uh, sometimes the prop master will say, you know, I, I got a guy. He'll take care of this graphic design to finish product. Um, other times the graphic designer will contact me and say, hey, I've designed this book. Um, I need somebody to produce the physical object. Mm. I do a lot of that. I did that. uh book for Disney's Haunted Mansion. I did it, uh, another book for, um, oh God, another film recently that that was the situation. I worked with the graphic designer, uh, Eric Rosenberg on um, all of the newspapers and magazines for uh, the Boston Strangler and uh, also for the HBO series, Plot Against America. There was something like 30 newspapers and uh, maybe 10 magazines in that i i worked with him i designed them from scratch and produced the finished newspapers um and uh in other cases on that particular production he designed stuff and i produced it i did the invitation to a party at the white house so yeah, that was his design and i produced the physical object so you know it, it really varies you have to really be super flexible and and uh you know, kind of able to think on your feet right. uh, for a lot of these things. Okay. So I, we haven't even started talking about national treasure yet and I'm already like hooked. So <laughs> yeah, my mind is literally like blown right now. I know. Yeah. It sounds Sorry wild. about that. No, in the best way. Um, okay. So let's, so that we can get into the national treasure of it all before you were hired to work on national treasure Two book of secrets what was your relationship with the national treasure franchise like were you familiar with the first film you know anything like that and then of course how did you end up on the team to create props for the sequel i was not that familiar with the first film i've actually only seen the first film once uh many years ago and i don't even remember if i'd seen it when i i think i'd seen it when i started work on this movie um so i i knew the general outlines I mean, part of the job um, is to watch a lot of stuff. You have to, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to approach it like a job in a way. And um, the new prop director, he he didn't work on the original film, but the new prop director for uh, National Treasure Book of Secrets was a guy, Richie Kramer, that I had worked with on several films. And I had done, uh, for The Legend of Zorro, I had done a gigantic book along with a lot of other props for The Legend of Zorro. And I'd also worked uh, on a book for him, you know, kind of an old 
book for him for for um King of California, which is a fantastic film. Hardly anybody's seen the film. Really, really great film. If you like National Treasure, you would love King of California because it's all about a treasure hunt based on an old book that was literally found. writing this down right now. <laughs> yeah, it was found in a uh, Michael Douglas is in it, and um, Evan Rachel Wood is plays his daughter. He's confined to a mental institution, and he finds the book in the library. He's a jazz musician, and he figures out the clues in this old book and uh, goes on uh, search for this gold that was left by missionaries in California. And I won't spoil the ending for you, but it's fantastic. It's a fantastic film, and it's got a lot. It shares a lot of DNA with the National Treasure movies in that following clues and figuring things out, you know, in very real world. Yeah. Um, which is one of my favorite things about the National Treasure things. And and I think that's part of what appeals to people. There's no, you know, there's no sort of mystical whatever, you know, it's just like people finding some cool document and figuring out that it, it, there's more meaning there than, than you can see on the surface. And, and uh, so anyway, we had worked on that, which involved a lot of the same elements, uh, as did the uh, uh, Legend of Zorro book. So it was probably late November, uh, early December of 2006, Richie Kramer called me and said, hey, I'm about to start working on a new film, uh, National Treasure 2. We didn't even know it was called Book of Secrets back then. And he said, there's this book in it. And can you, you know, work on this book? And I said, sure. And we didn't know anything. We didn't, the, the, at that point, all he had, and I'm, I, I'm guessing it's all the writers had. Uh, Richie at the time told me that he, they had basically sold this film on the, on the basis of this um, uh, brief write up. Yeah. And uh, so they didn't really have a script. And they started shooting. So this is early December. They started shooting in January. So, um, you know, we jumped in and I started sketching books. Like we're thinking like big, you know, it's the book of secrets, right? We, we has to be this big book with like the minute you see the cover, you go, oh, you know. And uh, so I did some sketches. Yeah, we're thinking big old book with lots of heavy brass hardware and locks on it. These are basically just sketches for Richie and I. Yeah. You know, these weren't me meant to be presented in any way. Um you know, all in very similar vein, right? Yeah. And um, and at one point, a little later on, we're still kind of thrashing around trying to figure out the design. This was the original cover for the Book of Secrets. Okay, that's starting to look familiar. Yeah, much bigger. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it was that history of having done big books like that with Richie. So, you know, they, the um, director and writers and everybody were also kind of feeling their way forward, I gather, at that point. Uh, you know, I, I, that went on throughout the whole movie. I mean, when I was working on set later on, they were, there was a person writing script pages right there while they were filming. And we would, it would be like four or five in the morning and they'd send out a new script page saying, you know, okay, make this document. 
We I, had I, heard about that, like how they were literally writing the script as filming was happening. And I'll yes. be honest, until we started having this conversation with you, I had not even thought about how much that must impact things like props or set design or things like that. Yeah. 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 It was, it was insane. Um, the whole thing with the burned page in the booth diary uh, was something that came up. And also two things that were in the movie, um, the booth diary and the uh, Estevan were both mm-hmm. things that were just briefly mentioned or, or weren't, you know, the booth diary more than briefly mentioned, but they weren't really um, playing starring roles. Mm-hmm. The Booth Diary, uh, so when I did these things, I would do a presentation. Now, this is my bound copy of the presentation. I would send them loose sheets, and the prop designer would hang them up and have a presentation with the director. And so it has, you know, colored sketches, you know, with lots of notation on it, Um you know, showing the interior. One of the notes I got back from this was that they did not want images on the pages. They only wanted writing. Oh. I quite know why the, why that was. And I would, you know, show them stuff that I'd researched, uh, you know. Oh, and wow. this was kind of the pitch, right, for the book, how we were going to do it lock various you know gold stamping i wanted to do really old looking gold stamping dark leather lock hardware you know how the writing would look i'm showing possible um handwriting samples so there's lots of samples of presidential writing i was gonna say did i read that you tried to match the president's handwriting as best possible uh in fact what i ended up doing was um sourcing real documents um through various archives and things and that's what went into the book almost exclusively it's actual handwriting from the actual presidents okay so there are like actual things like there was substantive writing in there there is yep every president up to uh, bill clinton except nixon uh, I said at the time, I mean, the book was getting quite thick, so uh-huh. I, I just had to make, you know, the difficult choice of what do we leave out? I'm, mm-hmm. I was at the point where some presidents would only have one or two pages. So I said, let's leave out Nixon because Nixon, he would have his own book. Of yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> makes <know>? sense. <laughs> He would he wouldn't want anyone to see his book of secrets, not even another president like. Um, so, you know. For the getting back to the Booth Diary and Estevan, I did a presentation like that. So they said, okay, there's this scene now where he brings in the Booth Diary to his tavern and, and you know, uh, his uh, his ancestors there. And he he's a, you know, a, a, a sort of a searcher as well. And he's digging through some clues about Charlotte in a sort of, uh, you know, reference to the first movie, which I did all of those, which you barely see. Um, massive amount of Charlotte paperwork. Um, And he, you know, this guy presents him with the Booth diary. And so just make some old, you know, make something looks like an old diary. So I start researching the Booth diary and I go down this huge rabbit hole. Uh, The first thing I discovered, now this is 2007. 
where the internet is not as vast as it is now. But I I found hundreds of websites devoted to the conspiracy uh, that Booth had survived. Um, you know, all of these crazy things or the people, you know, uh, speculating on all kinds of stuff about why he did it and who was with them. And because it was a mystery at the time and that conspiracy just, you know, grew and grew and grew over the years and to the point where, you know, you think about people using the internet in the early days. Um, I, I, it seemed like about 50% of them were uh, booth conspiracy theorists, wow. but um, so, and, and I found, uh, I tried to find, I found uh, an FBI file. So the, the, I rec I realized the FBI had this file on booth, but I couldn't find it in the FBI website. So I put in a FOIA request, um, which I don't know if it ever uh, really, you know, did anything. I never heard back. But what happened was I kept checking the FBI site and suddenly Booth's files appeared on the FBI site. And there are these vast files and 99% of it are letters from people saying, you know, my uncle was in a bar in New Hampshire and he saw Booth there oh my drinking whiskey, you know, with, uh, Benjamin Frank. I don't know. You know, it, it was <laughs> tons of crazy letters to the FBI and among, um, the papers that were in there, uh, the, the, his diary had been the subject of a lot of speculation and searching. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of that information in there. They were trying to find co-conspirators. It was it was considered at the time to be this vast conspiracy against the president. And um, so at some point, the FBI had examined or no. Uh, someone had examined. I didn't know who it was at the time. Uh, Booth diary under they'd taken photographed it under every wavelength of light. And to try to find, you know, invisible writing and all kinds of things like that. And those photographs were in there. Now, this file had been, as was uh, frequently the case at the time, the original file was photocopied in the 70s. So it was really bad quality photocopies of original documents. And there were these horrible photocopies of the Booth Diary photos. And there was a little card at the bottom of each photo, and that had been redacted. So I did some more research and I found out that the Secret Service was originally formed as an anti-counterfeiting unit. And um, that's still what they do to this day. That's their major, that is their main job. Uh, guarding the president is kind of a sideline. They are the agency that examines suspect documents. And, uh, and so I contacted the Secret Service and um, asked them if, you know, if there's any way I could get a hold of these photos. Still waiting for that phone call to, to come back in. And uh, <laughs> the um, it, it, during all of this research, I'd spoken to um, the woman who was the curator at the Ford's Theater uh, Museum. Mm -hmm. And so I, I contacted her again and described all of this with the FBI and the Secret Service. And I said, yeah, oh, geez, I just wish I could find these photos. And she said, oh, I've got a set of them here. I'll send you a set. So she sent me a set of the photos. So I put together a pitch for the Booth Diary and said all this stuff. 
about all these conspiracies. And I said, this is like national treasure gold. Oh, yeah. The Booth Diary is like, you know, this. Uh, it, it's perfect for this movie. We can't just relegate it to being just some old diary that kind of looks like it. It's a very distinct looking uh, thing. It's red and black leather. And um, it's kind of like a wallet slash diary. Mm-hmm. And so it became a much, uh, they they were like, oh, that's fantastic, perfect. And it became, I don't know how much they'd written of what, how, you know, it appears in the film already, but the the actual physical object became much more of a, um, a you know, had much more of a starring role. And the same with Estevan. They said, oh, there's this men- mention of Estevan and the City of Gold, because that's what they were ultimately searching for. And I said, Estevan has one of the coolest stories. He was a... Uh, um, the first African to set foot in America, he uh, was a member of a 500-man Portuguese uh, expedition that shipwrecked in a huge storm off of Galveston. Uh, the ships were all lost. They swam ashore in Galveston, where, where they were the guests slash hostages of the local tribes. Eventually, they escaped by swimming to the mainland. They built new boats, went upriver, and eventually traveled up to South Dakota overland and then from there down to mexico city and and uh, it's all recorded in the book of another survivor cabeza de vaca um called nefragios and um uh esteban was their translator he had a real gift for uh languages and he also had a gift for healing and he would befriend the local natives and that was what allowed them to have safe passage esteban would kind of establish contact and and uh, learn the language or, you know, befriend them. And that allowed them safe passage. Eventually, they get back down to Mexico City. The remaining members go back to uh, Europe, five survivors out of 500 men. Everyone goes, you know, nuts over the story, Esteban's story of the City of Gold or what he had heard. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think he, he said he saw it, but I'm not sure. Um and they send him back to America to try to find the city of gold, uh, where he eventually uh, dies in America. So I'm like, again, national treasure gold. We can't just, you know, fob this off. It's it's like perfect for this. So we they there's that scene where they're all looking at various books, and we see a lot of the Estevan stuff there. Yeah. So you know that's kind of the process for a lot of the paper props. You kind of, I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff I work on now, there's less of that pitching stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, sometimes I'll do a sketch. Sometimes we're trying to work out a mechanical thing about a prop. It's got to kind of do a certain thing and you've got to make sure it's going to work. And here's, you know, I've tried this and that and magnets hold this together and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the times it's just like, hey, we need this document. We need this book. Go, you know. Well, two of the things that have really struck me here from this conversation, number one is how cool of an opportunity it sounds like the combination of, I guess, how this sort of work was done in the early 2000s, combined with the fact that they were still creating the story as they were going, meant that you had such a direct impact on not just what things looked like, but the story itself in the in the film, which is incredible. And then number two, just listening to you rattle off everything that you that you researched, you clearly learned so much and, and took it upon yourself to, to learn these aspects that 
I just, it's incredible how much you remember, but also how much I can imagine if you do this for all of your work, just a vast wealth of knowledge. I'm just floored. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of it. I got to admit the the research aspect is, you know, it's like, give me the task of, of making a, you know, 1920 Illinois driver's license and I'm all over it like a terrier with a rat, you know, it's, it's, most people go, oh God, you know, and I'm just like, oh my God, did you know that in Illinois in 1920, you know, I could hammer your ear flat at a party the most obscure crap well that's so our vibe with this podcast though too so our bread and butter is like finding the niche things from these movies and then diving into the real history or the real science or Mm -hmm. what have you so yeah great very very cool a quick follow-up you mentioned um the the booth diary page and everything there are two moments that i am at least that pop into mind immediately for me where it's very evident that the story was continuously changing um based on not just the final film but even the trailer for the film so Mm. in the trailer for example they initially show that i think it was the the booth diary page had the president's secret book insignia on it but that never shows up in the movie and then the other one being and we're going to get more to the secret book in a moment but there's a moment in the actual film where we see the secret book pop up in two subsequent shots the same page but the handwriting is completely different um okay you okay i wanted to ask about these sorts of things like are these like little mess ups on productions, like mm-hmm. part, or are you creating multiple of every prop and how are the multiples used? Like, talk me through that. Okay. So first of all, the multiples. Um, yes. I, I typically make multiples. Uh, early on, um, I worked on a movie called The Alamo and I did a massive amount of research on uh, Davy Crockett uh, produced an almanac. And it's hilarious. Uh, they, uh, the University of Kentucky, I believe, has them. Uh, but at that time, again, this is very early on. They were very hard to find. I had to produce a, a copy of the Almanac, which we see for like a millisecond, rolled up in someone's hand, you know, in the final movie. But um, again, I just dug right into it, produced the whole thing, even though you couldn't find any of it online. I was able, I bought a book that showed some pages and I was able to gradually uh, by emailing people, they would send me scans of pages and stuff. I was able to put a whole issue together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then production shut down briefly. And when it started up again, all of the props had been stolen. This was several months later, about three months later. In the meantime, I had thrown everything away. I didn't, I didn't make extra copies and I didn't save any of my research. And so I had to go back and do the whole thing all over again. Um, so that was the situation that taught me I need to save everything research. I mean, you saw from the stuff that I showed you, there's photographs of, you know, uh, printouts of uh, web pages in there that I don't really need to keep necessarily, but I save everything. Now I have massive files full of stuff because of that incident. Mm -hmm. And typically what I do um, when I'm working on a movie is I make up, I make backup copies, like typically the number that you want to send uh, to the production is three copies of a, of a prop. 
Um, in the case of the Book of Secrets, there's they only got one. Well, they technically got they got two copies. Um, and again, I have to give you a little more background here because the movie was being uh, constantly rewritten. That uh, Book of Secrets came back to me many many times. Oh. That, that'll get into what we were talking about with the duplicate of the pages or the two different pages i should say but um yeah because the prop was so complicated there is only one copy that you see on screen uh and you don't see uh on screen you don't see all of the inserts when they're holding a copy like this is my copy you can see how thick it is and now what, what? this <laughs> This is the what I often do, and and this was one of the movies, one of the first movies that I did this on, is I make a master copy so that because that book kept coming back, one of the things that happened is the button uh, popped off at one point. So I had to reinforce the button. So it came back for that. Uh, and also new pages were inserted several times. So it came back for that. So this is my master copy so that when... I get something back for repairs or changes, or if I get asked to make a new copy, I've got a copy that I made at the same time as the screen used copy. I'll be making two to three copies all at the same time. And I keep this one. Now I call it the safety. And that means that if something happens to the copy that they're using, like let's say they had to send it back for repair. I could send them this one if they needed one right away. That didn't happen in this. Case. Right. Um, but oftentimes you'll have, uh, they'll have three copies just in case one gets lost, in case somebody sets a coffee cup on it or they gets damaged or whatever. And then I'll have extra copies. If I send them three, I keep three. If I send them six, I make six extra for me. Um, just so that, you know, there's backups because these things are happening real fast and crazy. And there's no time for them to say, hey, you know what? We destroyed the screen used copy. Can you or it got lost by FedEx or, you know, whatever it is. Can you make a new one? The thing that took you two months to make. Can you make a new one and send it over here? <laughs> you know, so it's much more lab uh, much more efficient to to be making two at the same time or whatever it is six at the same time now in the copy of the uh booth diary um i made in the end i made what the booth diary is like the book of secrets it's a leather case with a removable book and it's made like that to allow for changes updates you know rewrites all that kind of stuff it's just easier than trying to tear the whole thing apart you kind of have to make it flexible. Um, the original Booth Diary, the Booth Diary prop is an almost exact replica of the, the real Booth Diary because I got all those great photos, Secret Service photos. Um, one of the major changes is the fact that the paper diary can be removed from the leather wallet. I made six leather wallets for the production. Uh, I believe I made two um, complete diaries for myself six leather wallets for them. I ended up making 120 of the paper book because of various changes that were happening. And what would happen is they'd call me like at noon and say, we need you to ship another 30 paper copies of the Booth Diary tonight. Oh my and, God. 
I had two interns working with me at, at that time, uh, Carrie and Brian. And I'd say, okay, all hands on deck. We got to produce more copies of the Booth Diary, which are complicated. They were, you know, they're all, they all have to be printed out, trimmed, stitched, you know, all of the stuff. And there was writing in them and, and, and various things and ship them. And, uh, you know, I have a five o'clock cutoff to call for a FedEx pickup. So we'd have to do 30. And after, the, you know, the third time or something that that happened, I said, what in the hell are you doing with these? Why do you need so many more? And they said, well, there's this new thing that we're doing with it. We're trying to produce a burned page. And when we try to burn the page, it just lights on fire and the whole book gets ruined. And I'm like, well... <laughs> A number one, why am I doing a whole book if you just need one right. page? And be, and it was because they wanted to match it up. And uh and also there was that that whole thing with the uh, the guy tearing the pages out and throwing them into the fire. Yeah. So anytime on a movie, typically where you have a prop that somebody does something like that too, tears pages out, writes in it, maybe they read a letter and crumple it up or they tear open an envelope, you make 30 copies. That's that's sort of the standard number. You make 30 copies so that they shoot the scene, the director says cut, and then everybody resets for another take, right? You don't want the prop master to be sitting there writing on an envelope and licking the... He's got enough to worry about. So to uh, make the reset process really uh, efficient and simple, it's better for him to just have another copy. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the standard. Of course, every once in a while, in, in the case of the Book of Secrets, uh, there's not time or the prop itself is so labor intensive that, you know, you can't really send them three complete copies that are all identical. Plus, you know, there was the fact that it was changing so often. Um, and and coming back for for new pages and everything. So, but to get back to your question about the two different shots of the same page, yeah, that's because at some point. So I had done uh, that. That's I don't. You guys are probably familiar with this term, hero hero page. That's a hero page. In other words, we see it on camera in a close up. Um, and uh, I had done the original version of it which they shot for, that's called an insert shot. They'd shot that for the insert shot. Then at some point later on, they had a calligrapher on set, uh, Diane Singh, I think her name is. Um, and she wrote a whole bunch of pages. Uh, she wrote about, I, I guess I, I'm not 100% sure, maybe a dozen pages okay. of content that was all about um, this sort of... Uh, late 19th century, early 20th century search for the um, uh, city of gold mm -hmm. and uh, how they'd hired Borglum to do the, uh, you know, um, what's that giant no. monument? Yeah, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Sorry. No. You got right. so much up there that honestly, I, it's yeah. the least I can do is supply Mount Rushmore. Right. For you. <laughs> There's only so much room left. Um, yeah, so, you know, that all that stuff, they'd written all these hero pages for that, which, you know, I can show those to you if you like, but, um, uh, they, they never got used. I mean, they may have shot them, they never got used, but she'd also rewritten that page 
and it was based her writing was based on my original version of it but obviously it looks different yeah somehow or other <clears throat> excuse me in the editing process somehow or other they had shot my version maybe earlier and then shot her version and nobody noticed because they were similar they're not identical but they're similar hers is in black ink and uh, you know more of a calligraphic her handwriting is much yeah. better um and mine is uh, in a browner ink and a, a little bit rougher around the edges um she she complained endlessly about how hard that paper was to write on which is true i don't blame her it's a real pain wow. to write on it's a it's a very uh you know special mold made laid paper from one of the oldest mills in uh paper mills in the world um wow yeah that's wild itself yeah oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's not just you know copy paper it's really it's it's paper that uh you know this is the kind of stuff that I like to do. It's not anything that you're necessarily going to see, mm -hmm. but it's like, I don't want to produce. I mean, you know, you have to a lot of times, but uh, given the choice, it's not that much harder to make something that looks historically accurate in person. You I know? love that. Like that, yeah, that level of dedication is amazing to me. It's way more fun. Let's face it, you know, it's like you're creating something like you kind of get into this um, headspace where you're almost a little bit of a, a counterfeiter or a forger, you know, like I want to make it like I want to be able to see Washington's greasy handprints on this cover. You right, know? right. Like he just <laughs> ate a salami sandwich and he's reading going through the book of secrets well you your book of secrets was so convincing that you know people like we have it on good authority people still go to the library of congress to this day and ask where the book is oh my god oh no i've had <laughs> i've heard from people um who uh a guy emailed me about a year ago and said that his friend uh had been approached he was interested in the book of secrets and i i guess he he'd found some guy who was making replicas and this guy convinced them that it was the real book of secrets no and he paid him a thousand dollars for for uh not even for pages it was for printouts or or you know maybe a digital version of these pages yeah so i i have heard that before and i get people uh you know probably once a year it happened more frequently uh obviously when the film came out but it still happens where people contact me and say oh my god you got to tell me what's on page 47 and i'm like hey, dude it's a prop it's not real well you know i was gonna ask you that right like yes yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, I know it's not the page 47, but I just like what is on the 47th page? I mean, the world would love to know. OK, well, that was added later. Again, you know, we were talking about how so much is done on the fly. The pages weren't originally numbered and I didn't number them. Oh. So they went through and numbered them in pencil. Somebody in probably Richie in the prop department. Um, and. I got the book back and I never noted what was on the screen used copy page. And, you know, every 
copy that I made at the time was slightly different just because of the changes that were happening. I, I kept trying to, um, you know, update my master copy. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure mine is the same as the screen use copy, but I, I can't guarantee that 100%. In my copy, page 47 is blank. There's probably only one blank page in the whole book, and that's page 47. No way! Yeah, yeah. So it was just chosen randomly. Yeah. They went through and numbered it, and somebody just in the, the writer, somebody just picked that number off the top of their head. Let's do page 47. And it was it was all done much, much later. It may have even been done. See, they went, for the summer, they went over to shoot all the stuff in Europe. Uh-huh. And uh, Richie and I would talk on the phone every once in a while. And Richie, at one point, you know, he called me and I think it was August and, I, you know, he was bored and he called me to sort of just yak for a while. And I said, what are you doing? He says, well, there's nothing to do. I'm just there. They've been shooting in Europe and I'm sitting in a warehouse reading the newspaper, waiting for the props to get shipped back because I have to sign for them from Europe. And, you know, we're all done. Everything's all done. And then late August, early September, I get a panicked email from Richie saying they're doing a bunch of reshoots and they've got this whole list of shots that they want to do. And um, that that list of you can actually see that list in 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 the book. Um, I don't remember. Uh, if the page 47 was on that stuff that they reshot and the movie came out in mid mid December mm -hmm. of 2007. So they were really, you know, uh, putting it together at the very last minute. Cutting it close. Yeah. So let me just like get this completely straight for, for my mind. So you like in the version that you have, like that you made, yeah. Page 47 just like doesn't have anything on it, but that was not, it was not intentional that it didn't have anything on it. <laughs> it just like th it the was... page they happened to pick and label didn't have anything. Oh my gosh. Yep. Nope. There it is. There's nothing there. Yeah. And it, and like I said, uh, there's almost no blank pages in the book. I don't know why that happened, but I'm you dead. know, that is like, such a crazy coincidence i because i feel like they wouldn't have i don't know i feel like they right. would like in case yeah like page 47 got flipped to in the yeah. the filming they would have wanted like nothing really to be like present so the fact that like that's wild and it's, it's just like, oh well that's crazy maybe when he photographed it the ink had a special property that um you know when it was photographed it 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 vanished huh i love it <laughs> oh I my gosh so yes <laughs> it's just crazy enough to work um and you know as i'm sure you know students of the movie you remember that we see him photographing page 47 what he's photographing is a, a page of writing by lincoln and i'm i'm not sure which one it is but uh you can see in the book, every page has real presidential writings on it. Um, with the exception of the very first page, which I, to tell you the truth, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. So I don't remember if we see this, but there is a hero page. Now, again, this is written by the calligrapher, mm -hmm. George Washington 
sort of writing about the book of secrets and why he's decided to um put together this thing you know where presidents can sort of ease their minds by recording terrible you know secrets that are too horrible to ever be revealed to the public and uh and again there are um so this is one of those pages i mentioned that was written by the calligrapher uh-huh this is benjamin harrison okay okay and uh, uh again there's about a dozen of those which were uh, as i mentioned those were added later so, you know, I brought the Book of Secrets down to Washington where they were shooting. I brought the Booth Diary and uh, the Book of Secrets down in a real rush and uh, ended up staying there for about five days or a week. I don't really remember because it was just crazy. And um, uh, they they shot some of the Booth Diary scenes there, the, uh, the scene where they're in the lecture hall mm -hmm. and um, where they go to the museum and they see the real booth diary and, and stuff like that. And I believe they shot some stuff, uh, the book of secrets, but the book of secrets that I brought was that was the first time Richie had seen it. He hadn't seen it yet. I was still working on it. And he said, we need more stuff in it. It needs more stuff. It has to be thicker and fatter. So I was creating new documents um, we call call them the inserts. Um, and we put in a couple things that Richie had in his filing cabinet. And um, that uh, there's a photograph of a baby. It's a, uh, actually a 19th century photograph of an Asian baby. Um, you know, it's a cabinet card photograph uh, shot in the United States, I believe. That just happened to be something that was in Richie's file. There's a piece of airmail. That was in Richie's files. So I put some of that stuff in. And then I came back home and I had two mandates. One was to quick, very quickly create uh, the map of Mount Vernon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I had spent, uh, like, a, like I said, about a week down there, just in, like an insane thing. When I was, I was staying in a hotel with the actors and the director um, because there was no room in the crew hotel. And uh, we were working at night in the Library of Congress. And so that meant leaving at about five o'clock in the afternoon um, and coming home at maybe five in the morning. And so when I was done, I actually went down to the front desk of the hotel and I said, um, this is going to sound strange, but where exactly am I? where is this hotel? Oh I mean, God. I knew it was in Washington. I didn't really know where. I, I'm not familiar with Washington. And they said, you're in Georgetown. I was like, oh, okay. And I said, is there anywhere around here that I can buy clothes? Because I had one set of clothes that I wore for the entire time. Oh my gosh. And my clothes were just like, and my shoes, I wore out my shoes that I was wearing because they were an old pair of sneakers anyway, and walking around so much. And so I went out and bought clothes and then got the train, came home and had to work on the map of Mount Vernon. Well, actually what happened is I got home and my family, I'd been working so intensely on the film. It's like my kids were really young at that time. And it was, it was almost at the point where they were like, mommy, who's that weird man? Um, <laughs> and so as I was coming home, I phoned them and I said, hey, do you want to do something together? And the kids said, yeah, yeah. What do you, so what do you want to do? And they said, let's go to Target. 
and because they wanted they love the toys section at Target. So we go to Target. It's about six o'clock at night. I'm standing around in the toy section. My cell phone rings and it's Richie. And he says, Ross, you're not going to believe it. I'm like, no, Richie, what now? And he's like, they want you down here right now. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding. He's like, we're shooting at Mount Vernon. I need you to come down here. And I said, Richie, it's six o'clock at night. You know, I'm hundreds of miles away. How am I going to get down there? And um, he said, hire a private plane. Get down to Mount Vernon. I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> That's happened before where people have said that. And and I've actually had to hire uh, planes for props. But um, I said the first time, see, you know, part of the reason you get these jobs is that you are the guy who figures out how to do the impossible on, on you know, in on an impossible schedule. And so I said, Richie, I've never said no to you before. And I'm, you know, I hate to do it, but I cannot make it down there. I can't get there in time. Even if I hire a private plane, I cannot get there by nine o'clock tonight when you start shooting. But don't worry. I've got it taken care of. Don't think about it. I'll have someone on set who can do what I do. And we'll figure it out. Because I had created the maps. Like I said, I came back to do these maps. And uh, they were supposed to fit in these uh, large oversized Ziploc bags and they had to be in 19th century frames and they needed multiple copies. And what the story was at that point was they'd seen this map on the wall of someone's place and they'd, I, I don't know, stolen it or taken it somehow. And it was in a frame and they swam in, in scuba diving gear under the Potomac and came up on Mount Vernon and they had to pull this thing out of the Ziploc bag. And uh, so I sent it all down. I somehow found three 19th century frames. Now this is done in a matter of like two days and there were multiple changes on the map too. And, uh, I sent it all down there and they wanted me to drive it down. Uh, the, this is the original map before the private plane thing. And I said, I can't drive all the way down there in time. Cause I've got to finish the book of secrets. So we made arrangements. I met a production assistant in the lobby of, uh, Abrams books in New York city, and it was like a drug deal. I basically, we, you know, he went there and, you know, the <laughs> receptionist said, can I help you? And he's like, oh, no, I'm waiting for someone. And and I walk in and hand him this package, you know, and we we don't know each other. We both say, OK, thank you. Bye. And we both leave. And I get in my car and drive back. And um, that's when I call my kids. And that's when Richie calls me that night, says, you won't, you're not going to believe it. It's changed again. You got to get down here. And I'm like, I'll take care of it. I'm going to find someone who can fill in for me and can be there on time. You know, I have no idea who this person is. I have no idea. I don't know anyone who lives near in Washington or near Washington. So I called um, Brian Ray. Brian Ray is an illustrator. And he, at the time, was the art director of the New York Times op-ed page. The op-ed page, the opinion page in the New York Times, um, requires the art director to hire illustrators to turn around um fairly major illustrations on the, in the same day you usually get a call from them maybe noon if you're lucky and uh, you have to produce the piece by five o'clock at night the papers are printed at night uh so they're delivered very early the next morning so i know brian ray was from somewhere near washington i didn't know exactly where as i'd, I'd worked with them a fair amount so I called him up and I said, Brian, this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, do you know anybody who can do this? Blah, blah, blah. Tell him the whole story. He's like, well, I can give you two names, people who live 
one guy lives in Bethesda. And um, so I call this guy. I've never met him or heard of him or anything. And I, I said, hey, he's an illustrator. I said, hey, um, you know, hi, it's Ross McDonald. I'm an illustrator. And he's like, oh, Ross, I love your work. And I'm like, thank you. I love your work too, um, you know? And I said, okay, um, you know, this is going to sound weird, but um, can you take a whole bunch of art supplies and jump in your car and and drive to <laughs> to work on a movie? <laughs> and the, you know, long story short, the guy was thrilled and, oh, yeah. you know, took a friend and everything. And Aww. then I said, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, this is my job, right? I'm, I'm, I can't just hand it off to some stranger. And, right. and so I, I said, I'm going to like, basically you and I are going to check in frequently through the night. Um, right. I'm going to make sure they know you're coming because they won't let you on the set. Otherwise, um, you know, so I'm calling, I'm, talking to Richie and said, here's the guy he's coming in, he's filling in for me. He's bringing a bunch of art supplies so he can make the changes right there. And, you know, yada, yada. So make sure that they know he's coming and get him set up with what he needs and all that stuff. And, and you know, is everybody good? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm out. And I said to the illustrator guy, call me um, when you're done in the morning to just check in and let me know how it goes. And so the next morning, uh, like 6 or 7 a.m., he called me and I said, okay, you know, how did it go? And he said, it was, it was horrible. Oh, no. <laughs> well, because it was being on a movie set isn't fun. It's work. You know, it's work. It, it's not like everybody's slapping each other on the back and having a great right. old time. They're all working at night. You know, they're in some strange place where they haven't been. Um they everything has to be done in an amazing rush and it has to be done exactly right mm -hmm. like you know you can't leave a cable across the floor somebody could trip and kill themselves you know there's safety standards that have to be followed it's really demanding demanding work nobody has time to you know to to hang out with you um and they kept changing that map over and over again and it kept coming back like add this and add that and and he just found it like super demanding and i'm like yeah welcome to my world you know <laughs> um, so yeah i don't know what that was an answer to but no hey, that... it's a great story a that was a fantastic story <laughs> truly actually when you brought up the map were you working off of or inspired by the actual map of the basement that George Washington had? Because we were shown one that actually existed at when we visited Mount Vernon. And it's, I mean, it's not the same, right? Because the movie had different needs, but it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. We were working originally off the, off the real map. Okay. And there was also uh, one of the other changes that happened. Um, you know, again, this is what happens when you're kind of figuring out the actual script a, a little bit on the fly. Uh, you know, they'll go, wait a minute, does that make sense? Or wouldn't it be more fun if we did this? Or, you know, mm -hmm. the actors went right instead of left, you know, stuff like that happens. And um, uh, one of the things that happened, and I, I never did find out the reason for it, was uh, changes to the, in the corner of the map, there's a, a sort of a seal. And I think on my version of it, I followed George Washington's 
original seal, which I don't remember very well at the moment, but they wanted some changes to that uh, that were maybe in reference to the Book of Secrets. I really don't remember, but there were also slight changes to the map as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's, um, that is so, so interesting. Um, I, I have to, speaking of, of the book, since especially since you have a copy i'll be honest i was gonna ask you jokingly like how much you want for the book um but then you mentioned about how people have like actually tried like ripping off and like making copies and then i was like that wouldn't be funny anymore but mm. well a copy sold at auction a year ago for in england for 37 uh for uh, twenty five thousand pounds no way yeah and it was a cop one of the i don't know which copy it was I suspect it was a copy that I sold to the assistant director on uh, the Harry Potter movies. Um, and he, the copy he got uh, had some original, I don't remember exactly, but it was one of the copies that I was working on. While I, some of it was production, uh, production made. Wild. Uh, which, you know, that that's um, in the hierarchy of prop value, the top, is uh screen used and production made mm. is the next one down and then uh you know a replica and sure. i've made replicas for people of the book of secrets but um you know now that one of them has sold for the equivalent at the time of over thirty-seven thousand dollars american uh you know i can't people contact me to make them a replica <laughs> and i'm like well you could turn around and sell this for thirty-seven thousand dollars so right true you know. yeah oh that's so wild well if you're ever in philly where emily lives or in dc <laughs> where i live and you just feel so inclined to bring your copy so we can look at it we would yeah. relish yeah, we the would opportunity literally <laughs> sure yeah. or if you ever want to come up and and see it in the spot where it was made you're welcome to you're based in new york is that right i'm based just outside in new york in connecticut okay um, oh, okay you know. cool we we might take you up on that. Yeah. Be very careful because we yeah. might do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. I would just love to mention the casual like little name drop you did of like Harry Potter in there. Yeah, right. Like it just right. it was just yeah. such a casual thing. Just like oh, yeah. that that too. My good friend Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> no big deal. Um, okay, so if we if we at some point arrange to come visit your book to see it, or what would you say are some of the the highlights of the actual entries that are in there? Like, what did some of the presidents quote unquote write that you remember or that you think are really cool or anything like that? Oh, there's uh, well in the in the hero pages that were created. Um, that we don't actually see in the movie um oh actually you might see one of them there was the one entry about borglum which is pretty cool i i believe you do see that uh and and um there's a lot of great stuff in the pages that uh that that were written and 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 uh hand uh written mm -hmm. um as later inserts there's some great story in there uh, that that's worth reading and and I, like i said it's at, at least a dozen pages maybe more um the other stuff the presidential writings the actual real presidential writings are are interesting to me anyway um just in terms of uh you know some of the stuff seems to 
fit in with something that might be in a book of secrets. It, I mean, obviously it, it isn't because it was from a document that, you know, sure. and it's it, it, at the time, I don't know what it's like now at the time, it was surprisingly hard to find actual handwriting from uh, a lot of the presidents. Uh, the library of Congress at the time was insanely difficult to, to search through uh, the website, I should say. Um, again, these are, you know, this is 2007, early days. And so it was, it's possible they had examples of handwriting of every president, but they were very difficult to find. And so I had to contact a lot of um, document dealers and ask them if they had anything, you know, do you have anything by Benjamin Harrison? Do you have anything by this guy, that guy, that guy? And they would say, yeah. And I'd say, well, I'm really interested in it. Is it possible to have a look at it? And they would send me scans. Mm hmm um and uh you know some of that stuff is quite interesting and some of it is just almost funny because it's like why is that in the book of secrets <laughs> so it's all you know i find it fast anytime i'm looking at or working on it or doing anything like that i just um uh i just finished making a, a copy of the the paper book um that used up a lot of, at the time that I was working on it, I was, because it was coming back for so many changes, I was printing out dozens of copies of each page thinking I got to be able to move real fast. If mm. something major changes and I have to put together a whole new book, I want to have the pages ready for that. And then I never needed them. They're still in the file. So I happened to mention that to a guy who has bought props from me before. And he said, would you be willing to put a book together just using those pages? It won't look like the original book, but it would, you know, be some duplicates of these extra pages. And some of the pages that I used did not, uh, were never used in the book or they were taken out. Um, they were pulled out of the book to put in those new hero pages that had been handwritten by the calligrapher. Um, so that is what I put together for him. And so I just recently had a chance to revisit some of those pages and look at them. And, and, and you know, it's kind of cool uh, just to see that and other and, you know, also just to sort of see it in the context of why is this in the Book of Secrets? You know, mm -hmm. um, it's obviously not there is no real Book of Secrets, but it's sort of funny to look at it and think, you know, why did why does he think? writing something about his wife is is you know and it's probably a letter to some friend in the original but you know why is that in the book of secrets so it's kind of fun to to see and speculate about that stuff oh absolutely we would have a field day we could do like six yeah. episodes on that alone emily <laughs> oh 100 <Yeah>. percent. <laughs> well then there's all the inserts as well um there's a lot of the the inserts again after i after i came back from uh washington there was a whole process of creating more inserts and, and then there were the reshoots uh, mm -hmm. that they did in the September and they requested a bunch of documents for that. And then there was a whole process. This was the first time I'd encountered this. It was unusual at the time to have to clear documents legally, um, which is a process that uh, is very common now. So you, have to go through a clearance department at the studio. Um, mm. And the Disney clearance department were crack pros. They were so good and so great to deal with. 
And, you know, so they would request stuff like the moon landing. We created this whole suite of documents for the moon landing. And, and you know, I could bore you for hours about where the whole fake moon landing thing comes from. It comes from this one guy, basically, from looking at photos on the NASA website. It's really kind of fascinating. And that, you know, the whole story of how that grew into a myth and conspiracy yeah. is really interesting. He confronted uh, Buzz Aldrin at one point. You can look up this video on YouTube. This guy, he's a Flat Earth Society guy. Um, and he <laughs> confronts Buzz Aldrin with a film crew at an airport, I think it is, or is it, uh, it might be the lobby of a hotel, something like that. And he comes up to him and says, Buzz Aldrin, you know, he, he wants him to swear on a Bible that he landed on the moon. And he calls him a liar and a coward, I think. And Buzz Aldrin just <laughs> knocks the guy <laughs> right on the chin. Oh it's my fantastic. God. You got to look that up. And, um, so, you know, we're doing all this, moon landing stuff and then you know much later i'm talking to disney clearance and she says oh we can't use that their uh, buzz alder in particular is really litigious and he would not be happy if that was included you know seriously in some senses as a right. conspiracy you know or as a a real uh fake you know a a real fake you know that that it was recorded the wording in gets tricky <laughs> yeah right yeah uh, so yeah, he would not be happy and I get it. He'd been harassed, you know, he'd done this amazing thing. You think of what they did fly to the moon in a tin can with a, you know, they, they had a paper flight plan. It was, uh, I, that's one of the things, uh, the documents in the book of secrets, their flight plan is written on a piece of paper for landing on the moon and they make it back safely. And then he has this idiot saying, swear on a Bible that you landed on the moon. Um, you know, I'd punch him too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the the documents are great. And, uh, you know, there's stuff about the Titanic. There's a telegram in there. A lot of the stuff, I mean, most of the stuff is stuff that, because they just said, make up stuff. Yeah. You know, make up stuff. And to fill it out. And it's got to look good. That was kind of the, my brief. So I'm like, you know, at this point, you know, at some point when you're working on a movie like that, they're like, okay, this guy can handle it, right? Like, this guy's giving us good stuff, so we don't have to sweat it. We got right. enough to take care of. Like, they are super busy. So they're like, just throw this at this guy, and he'll he'll hopefully produce something that it's not going to embarrass us. And um, so I'm like, okay, well, what do we got? We got Marilyn Monroe's autopsy disappeared. That's in the Book of Secrets. That that that's that's a real thing. JFK assassination. Uh, the Titanic, there's some conspiracies around that. The moon landing, you know, and then uh, Roswell. Mm -hmm. you know, we did a whole bunch of stuff from Roswell. Cool. Um, I actually tracked down, uh, that happened in 1947, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, and, uh, that that's when it started happening. And I tracked down a hospital release form from the Roswell, New Mexico, Mexico hospital from 1947 and I filled it out for we this is talking to the assistant prop master Richie we sort of you know talked on the phone and created this whole story about how about their you know they befriend one of these aliens and they call him Abe you know and so there's this hospital release form for Abe 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, just a lot of stuff like that. Photos of, uh, you know, one of the things that created the whole myth of the fake moon landing and you can still find these. It takes some digging, or it sure did back then. It probably still does. You can find the photos that they did um, when they re when the astronauts were rehearsing for the moon landing. Because you got to figure they're sending these guys up in basically untested technology, mm -hmm. you know, to fly and land on the moon and fly back to Earth again. Um, so they're not just going to say, yeah, we think, we think we got it figured out. Go ahead, climb in the rocket. They're going to rehearse that like crazy, right? Like you're in a big moon suit. You're, you're tasked with picking up a rock. What if you can't bend over? Like, what are you going to use? Okay, let's make this piece of equipment. Let's see if he can use it while he's wearing a space suit. And so they rehearse every, let's see if he can climb up the ladder. We think he probably can, but we don't know. What if he gets on the moon and he gets climbs down and he can't climb back up again? You know, simple stuff like that. It's all rehearsed and it was photographed and the engineers studied it and everything like that. So there are photos of a moon lander on some sand inside a giant warehouse. Uh, some of the photos just have the astronauts. That's where the whole fake moon landing thing comes from. That alone is what generated that whole thing, those photographs. But if you look at all the photographs, there's guys in white shirts with ties and glasses smoking cigarettes standing around in 99% of the photos. So it's clearly a rehearsal, you know, yeah. any intelligent adult would look at that and go, oh yeah, of course, that makes sense. They're figuring out whether this stuff works and everyone's standing around going, yeah, you know what? He's having trouble using that ladder. Let's, let's figure out something else, you know? So that's where all that comes from. Um, but we created this montage of uh, um, a collage, actually, it's probably uh, the right word, of the actual moon landing onto the actual warehouse. So it's like, this is the proof that it was shot on a soundstage, which is what they always said in the, in the, in the fake moon landing myth. They shot it on a soundstage. And we added in like an exit door in the background and you know, kind of like, cause they weren't photographing the background in those original NASA photos. Right. We added a little bit of stuff to make it really look like uh, a, a bad soundstage. Oh, that's um, wow. Yeah. And then a telegram from a ship to the president saying, I've gotten a distress signal from the Titanic and I, uh, they're on the ship is on a secret mission, but I've got a distress signal from the Titanic and I request permission to go and rescue them. Um, and they are denied per that permission um stuff like that you know and and you basically sort of think okay i'm the president what during this time would be a terrible thing to have happen that mm -hmm. i can't ever reveal that would be a good candidate for me you know something like that so yeah there's tons it's not just the actual pages of the book it's it's really kind of about the inserts, inserts. lots of apps and photos photos of jfk there's uh, stills from the zapruder film um where you can see a tiny shadowy silhouette silhouette of a gunman in one of the sprockets between one of the sprockets you know film uh in those days had well still does sprockets it has holes on one side or um but it's all film it's all 
you know, it can tip, it can record right out to the edges if it's exposed. So between a couple of the sprocket holes, I superimpose this tiny shadowy image of a, of a gunman. Um, just stuff like that. I mean, again, it was created on the fly a lot of times really quick. So you're like, okay, well, what do I, ah, uh, you know, gunman in the sprocket. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. Know? Level of detail. Wow. Yeah. And you don't know, you know, at the time you don't know, they don't know what's going to appear. Mm-hmm. You know, they shoot stuff and then they, they're putting the film together and they're like, oh, wait, it's six hours long. We got to cut something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that actually leads me like perfectly into my, my next question, which is like, what were your thoughts on like how the film came together in terms of how they used like your props like was there anything that you just like mentioned to us that you were kind of like well you know i spent a lot of time on that i i really (laughs) wish that was that was in there well the charlotte stuff the charlotte stuff would have been great to see we don't see it we see the um the grandfather i guess he is or great grandfather of um of nicholas cage's character uh sitting there in the tavern when they're approached by the uh uh the guy the co-conspirator and we see his i guess it's his son and they're sort of pouring over these documents well there's a leather-bound notebook that's full of charlotte information and it's all real it's about ex uh expeditions where the ship was named charlotte that were wrecked there's some fascinating uh-huh. stuff that just happens to have the name charlotte attached to it and that's one of them there's um the shipwreck and they were stranded and i think there might have been some gold involved they were stranded on an island uh fairly far north it might have been off the coast of alaska or somewhere up there and it's just there's a lot they still don't know 100 what happened to that um there's various queens princesses charlotte and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff and so notebook full of handwritten entries that are his research um, leather bound, beautiful leather bound notebook. Um, plus, again, lots of loose documents and maps and things that he spreads out on the table. Well, we see them, the cameras at a low angle. We basically see the edges of a bunch of pieces of paper. Right. And he's sitting there with a, you know, a compass or something and trying to plot something out. And that's all we get. We don't get, they were, try, uh, you know, trying to work in some kind of Charlotte Easter egg there. Mm-hmm. And uh it ended up just being you know a really brief kind of glimpse of the papers that is incredible because emily and i have spoken a lot about how at the beginning of the first movie which opens with the charlotte ship like discovering the shipwreck um we're meant to believe that ben and his family have been pursuing all different meanings to the charlotte clue for generations and we've often wondered like what could that have been but it sounds like you actually figured out all the things that could have been for that scene in the second movie yeah yeah wild they i mean i you know i at that time i had had seen the first film and i found all that you know obviously it's fascinating um and when i they're like just do some charlotte stuff he's researching charlotte and i i so you know what do you do you go and you google charlotte you know and you get ten thousand pages of nonsense that has no bearing and every once in a while you find this little nugget that leads you, you know, maybe hopefully to another little Charlotte nugget. And along the way, you find some fascinating stuff. And so I was all over that, you know? Yeah. 
like I had been with Estevan and the Booth Diary. I was like, oh my God, this is gold, you know? And so again, you know, back to your question about what would I would have liked to see more of, that would be it. The Charlotte stuff is fascinating. But of course, again, the movie isn't about Charlotte. It was just a reference back to the first one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so you can't necessarily have these people pouring over yeah. you know, all this great Charlotte stuff, but just to see some of it would have been nice. I don't know. Yeah. Well, before before we get to our last questions for you today, um, a quick thing that just popped into my head has, and this could be a quick answer. It could be just a no, or maybe I'm not sure. I don't know. Has anyone reached out to you in the in like the past 15 years about the third movie that they're still working on? Like knowing that you have a copy of this book and you've done all this research before and they're always looking for ideas of what this third movie could could do, how it could tie together. Has has anyone reached out to you about this? The only people who've reached out to me are fans of the movie. Oh. Basically asking me something close to what you just asked me has, you know, have you heard anything about the third movie? <laughs> and the answer, the quick answer is no, I haven't heard a thing. Um, you know, it would depend on who they hired to work on it. If mm -hmm. the person, uh, you know, it's possible the director um would say, hey, we had this guy working on the second movie that did some great stuff, like, let's contact him. But if the production designer and or the prop master have their own guys, mm -hmm. uh, it's possible I wouldn't ever hear about it, um, which is what happened when I was hired for the second movie. You know, they, they right. had a whole different crew and they hired their own guys. But yeah, haven't heard a thing. When I talk to, when I get a um, question from somebody about it, I'll, a couple of times, I believe I've emailed Richie and said, Hey, you hearing anything about this? And he's like, no, haven't heard a word. None of us have heard anything. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I wish it feels like it needs a third installment, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, so we've actually interviewed the director before John Turtletob. Yeah. He's hilarious. Literally the funniest person I've ever met. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, like, we know they're still working on it. And as I've told many people, I feel like we're closer to it literally right now than we ever have been. How these strikes are going to might impact that, I really don't know. Um, but the reason I asked is because, you know, we've had the screenwriters um, reach out to us previously to ask us questions because they don't remember certain things from the movies so if they knew That's that like right. you have the book and they need to know what's yeah. even in the book like i could imagine them emailing you being like hey what was the thing that we had in there about like roswell because maybe yeah. that's you know what i mean it was on page 47 what yeah can you remind <laughs> us what we have to work with here exactly yeah but that's so yeah funny. i would have to redo the book and put something in on page 47 <laughs> um the the screen news book is in the disney archive oh really no yeah. okay book is there it was uh it's been a year or two at the library of congress we i did hear about that that it, yeah. at one point was there you know what's really aggravating about that is um that copy and again like i said all of the copies have very slight differences right. that copy that was in the library of congress which is the screen news copy they had it open to a page where a page of Abraham Lincoln's writing was across from something totally, I don't remember what it was, but it was something, I didn't do it. It was something they had, they had stuck a page in for some reason 
And so two totally, you know, two pages that totally should have been next to each other are next to each other. And that's what they displayed. They're probably the only two pages in in the book that are like that. Uh, That'd be crazy. Yeah, no, that would bother me too. So yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, Ross, this has been honestly so incredible. We have kind of two last questions for you. The first one is our speed round. It's the game we play with all of our guests. And then Emily will wrap up with one question. But are you ready to play our speed round? Sure, yeah. Okay. Ross, if you could play the role of any character in the National Treasure franchise, who would you pick? Oh, boy. I mean, obviously, Nicolas Cage's character. No obviously. Question, right? yeah. yeah. That would be my answer. Yeah. Um, What was your favorite prop from Book of Secrets, whether one of your props or something else? Oh, geez. I'd have to say the Book of Secrets. I mean. That's yeah, fair. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. What was your favorite scene that featured one of your props? Oh, God, that is so tough. I would have to say going back to the tavern scene with the um, the Booth Diary when he, you know, we get to see him solving a cipher and then he realizes who he's dealing with and he tears the pages out and there's a fight and he throws them into the grate of the fire. That's such a great scene, yes. you know, and, and uh there are many great scenes of them looking at or finding the book of secrets. And I'd have to say it's a tough call, but uh, them originally seeing the book of secrets uh, in that secret compartment mm-hmm. uh, is one of the, is one of the best. And that, that secret compartment and that whole situation um, is why the book of secrets is the size that it is. Um, it, it had to fit in that secret compartment. So it's that's why it's not a gigantic one of the reasons why it's not a gigantic book. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, which secret book entry or insert do you most wish was real? Oh God, that is so tough. I guess I would have to say the the Abe stuff. Okay. The Area 51, Roswell, you know, the, the references to Abe because there's this this whole scenario we created where the the air force guys are kind of friends with one of these aliens named abe that's what i wish was real okay that's a very good answer um and now for our niche questions that we ask literally everyone ross how many lemons is the appropriate number of lemons to keep in your refrigerator oh zero not a lemonade fan here i like lemons but i keep them out outside the fridge Mm, oh, there we yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. Um, up too much room otherwise. <laughs> that is true. Ain't no one got space for that. Yeah. Um, what is one word that you would use to describe the character FBI agent Sadusky? Dreamy. Dreamy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe dogged. Dogged. I like no, no, I, okay. I'm, I'm sticking with dreamy. Okay, okay, dreamy, excellent. <laughs> and and finally, I suspect I know the answer, but for the record, National Treasure or National Treasure Book of Secrets? National Treasure Book of Secrets. I love National Treasure, but I don't know. I feel like they, they uh, it was kind of the launching pad for the second one. I think it's the rare example of a sequel being just ever so slightly better than the original version, the original oh. film. Amazing. I love that answer. Okay, so 
I get to ask the final question here, Ross. Uh, I was wondering if you would be willing to tell us and our listeners, what are you up to today and how can our listeners learn more about your career? Uh, well, I'm not up to a lot in terms of film and television because the strikes are on. Uh, however, I'm making some props for a Broadway play. It's for Stephen Sondheim's last musical that he wrote before he died. It's called Here We Are. And um, it takes place in a city that may or may not be New York after uh, sort of the end of the world. And these characters are wandering around in this um, apocalyptic landscape, starving. And at one point, they go into a restaurant and discover this ginormous leather-bound menu, which they pour over the entries on just, you know, to read about food since they can't eat any. And so I'm making that. And for another scene, I'm making a book that they tear pages out of and eat. So the difference between stage and film is stage, eight performances a week plus rehearsals, uh, movies, maybe they might shoot six or seven takes. So I have to figure out how to make a book that will survive having its pages torn out for eight performances a week, plus, you know, whatever rehearsals they're doing. And, uh, and still look good, um, which I've done. Uh, I did a prop for the Broadway production of Music Man where they oh. tore a page out every night. Mm. Gotcha. And they had to reset it. So it's it's a, a book that would not, uh, if you looked at it in person, you would go, wait a minute, what's wrong with this book? It doesn't, you know, it looks like a book until you open it and realize there's all this mechanism inside for allowing stuff to be torn out. Oh, right. So I'm working on that and... Uh, you know, I, I finished work on um, months ago, years ago on Oppenheimer, which is out right now. So one of my projects is to go and see Oppenheimer. I did his nice. FBI file and a bunch of other paperwork for that. His FBI file was fascinating. It was a great project uh, to work on. And um, So cool. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm doing some illustration jobs. I'm uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm doing the um, a cover for uh, a, a new edition of Huckleberry Finn, which is great. Such a great book. And uh, I'm doing renovations on my studio, which um, I think I picked a fairly non-messy corner for you guys to see in the background here. But uh, the rest of the place is a construction site. <laughs> so I built a I built an extension on one side. And, cool. uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's. It's in some ways it sucks not having any film and television work. I was in the middle of a lot of stuff when the strikes happened, uh, but I get why they're striking. I, I think they have good reasons and I totally support them. Um, you know, I just wish we could all get back to work. I was working on Stranger Things, which would be fun to jump back in on, um, you know, and uh I, I don't know if they're going to do another season of evil but um that was a fun show to work on and and uh i hope they're maybe going to do a new season but yeah so mostly i'm hoping about working on props very cool well ross this has been honestly the most incredible conversation it's one of those things when we prepare um we, we don't know what to expect and this is just been phenomenal so thank you so so much for joining us and sharing all these memories with us thank you for having me 
why was that the most interesting conversation I have ever had in my entire existence? Our faces were like shocked Pikachu the entire time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, when he just whips out the secret book on camera and <laughs> our jaws hit the floor? It was huge, too. Well, I mean, and think it was supposed to be bigger. Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just, I, I, I don't know. Little insider baseball here. We hung up the call, the interview with Ross, and I texted you, and I quote... I would give my left kidney to see that book. We have got to go up there sometime after your wedding. Yep. So uh, if Aubrey is missing her left kidney, <laughs> we know why. <laughs> Aubrey, what was your favorite part about this interview? Oh, you mean besides him whipping out the book in front of our eyes? Um, I think, God, it's really hard to pick one moment because there's just so much there, but for me, from a big picture perspective, learning how Ross's research to develop these critically important props ended up, whether accidentally or on purpose, informing the story of the film. Like how it seems like his research was the reason that the Booth diary became so integral and things like that. Like, could you imagine? It, he was basically a story writer without being a story writer yeah really that was very very cool yeah what about you did you have any top moments um i think you know because he he gave us the the kind of the insider info about how like page 47 in the book that he had versus the page 47 air quotes here that Ben took a picture of in Book of Secrets was like different mm -hmm. um and it, it it's totally random but the fact that the page that Ben took a picture of in the movie was a page that had Lincoln's handwriting on it I just thought was like really cool because you know like we start off and we're like talking about you know Lincoln's assassination and stuff like that so like I said it like really very just kind of like random that that's what it happened to be but it was it's really cool to know oh my gosh yeah and hearing about some of the inserts that they planned that he planned for the book and and all that kind of stuff and how it wasn't really about the president's writing itself but more about those inserts was also a really cool perspective anyway i hope you know emily that i added about five new episode ideas for the podcast to our episode tracking spreadsheet after that conversation so yay uh yes i i do know that but i think i think we have a lot i think we have a lot to work with here but um just thank you so much to ross again for joining us and for taking so much of his afternoon to speak with us that was so wonderful of him and it was a pleasure truly and we want to hear your thoughts on this interview what was your favorite tidbit again there's so much to choose from tell us online yes you can find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast and don't forget to order our book and join our patreon and while you're at it, go ahead and check out the book Prop Man, which is all about Ross's work, and visit Ross's website at ross-mcdonald.com. We're coming at you very soon with a brand new regularly scheduled episode, and hey, maybe even a couple more bonuses this season. But until then, I'm Aubrey. 
And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt. Thank you.